0: Is the Caffeinated Risk Summer Show with your self-proclaimed grumpy security professionals, Tim McCree and Doug Leese. Welcome to our summer show folks. This time we're gonna keep it a little shorter because I don't know about where you are, but it's kinda hot where we are, which is unusual for Calgary,
1: but exactly.
0: It's pretty damn hot, so yeah, we'll be a little shorter, but uh, trying to keep on point with some of the things we're just seeing going on right now in the news, but also Calgary went back to work, Yeah, right, so that's that's maybe something we want to dive into, so what does a post-pandemic look like when half your workforce is and isn't, and you know, well, what does this world look like now? So, and we're going to interview ourselves. So this should be this should be interesting. I don't know. What do you think, Tim?
1: Well, I think well, no, I can't. yeah, um, no. But you mean it. It's a good point, right? Like we, I went back to work last week. And how do you how do you start reconciling now that you're coming back into the workplace where you've been away? I, I've been away from an office for over a year. It's mm-hmm. been almost a year and a half, and to come back into an office, one, it was awkward as hell, right? Because it's new. Oh, because theater. you got to wear, I gotta wear pants. I got to wear pants. I, I'm yeah. actually wearing a tie and a shirt again. I'm like, holy smokes! I got to dress up for an office, and we staged it right. We came back with portions of the team on Monday, and then partway through the week, and now everyone's back as of this week, and it's interesting, right? So all of those things we worried about all of the threats we tried to deal with when you were working from home. Well, now you're back in the office. So what does that human element look like now? And, you know, throw out a couple of good ransomware attacks, kind of mm-hmm. a half-assed approach from Microsoft on patching a vulnerability, and welcome to our first week in the office, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, for how many months now have we been not that concerned that somebody's plugging in a USB stick? Mm-hmm they're not going to get that far. They're going to hit the VPN on the way in and, oh, yeah, we're running the same EDR. Exactly. And we're not not naming a brand just to be (laughs) completely vendor agnostic. No, so you can log in and you can isolate that asset. So in theory, we can still do that once they're on the local network. Right. But I've been having some discussions with other people and, they're sort of asking, if it worked over VPN, why don't we have our users always VPNed in? Right. So yeah. I always know where they're coming from instead of placing them literally right next to some of the very assets that I'm trying to protect. But, you know, I've tried a number of times to get a data center behind a firewall and only mm-hmm. allow in the the allowed stuff. and. It's never really worked. It's always broken. But I'm wondering if we started talking about management planes versus the regular interaction. When do you think your regular users that are, whether they're VPNed in or back at the office, how many times did they ever really need to RDP into a server? Oh, God. I mean, yeah. Never. Never. Yeah, never. So why do we allow that? If we have rules on those servers that say, unless you're coming from a management network, RDP just doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. It's yep. blocked. And you could say the same thing about SSH on Linux boxes or network switches and things like that. You know, the networking teams are usually a little better at creating their own management enclaves and yep. stuff yep. like that. Yep, But. How do you say higher up? It's going to cost this much money to work something out to make it defendable. Uh, Because I don't see any good reason that a regular user needs to sit at their desk and RDP to a domain controller or even a file server.
1: No, there isn't. I mean, this is is the problem I have. But
0: they're set up that way. Exactly. Because trying to manage the firewall on a Windows host is a pain in the ass.
1: Well, and that's just it. I think we've... We found that you're right. You know that, Doug. You're sitting at home, you VPN, and it's such a restricted path that we created for home users. And and to recreate that now in the work environment, one you know people get upset. Well, but but what are you doing, taking away some of this functionality? You never needed it in the first place. That was my my first comment, right? Yeah, you proved it for the last eighteen months. Pretty much, yeah. You you were functioning from home, you know, right beside your kitchen fridge, and you were just fine. Yet now you come in the office and you need to have this, and that's. That was one of the points that you know kind of has been bugging me. And I've been talking to some other folks. The other one is, isn't this a great opportunity to really look at role-based access control? Yeah. And if you're a user in different parts of the organization, and as a user, you, you require to do these three or four tasks, then that's all you should be getting for access is those three or four tasks. Why are you being given the privilege of downloading files or executing files when you download them? Because that's what gets people in trouble. Like we've got... You know, on the average, the average company probably has 60 to 70 percent of the user base could get along just fine with a very restricted profile. Mm-hmm. You're always going to need that 30 or you know, 40, 30 to 40 percent of people who are doing the support work or the admins or need access to some of the data themselves to do additional work or they have requirements in different systems. But if you could get that 60 percent of the user base to a very restricted profile and it doesn't impact their performance, why are we not targeting that? Like, why are enterprises not targeting that approach to reduce the threats?
0: Yeah. You know, and I think about the problem's always doing it at scale. Yeah. Like, how do you actually make sure that it's really that user that's really that group? And I have seen multiple vendors try and do it by trolling Active Directory and then saying this is the this is the user that's with that IP. And it worked great in the demos, but once you got it out in the fields, like, yeah. Except when it's a jump server, and what if six people use that in the last half hour? Or yeah, fair enough. But with the VPN software, mm-hmm. you knew every single user because there was an active agent running on their machine. Yeah. So why don't we just leave it on? The minute you connect, you're. I know exactly who you are, and if you move from that to wi fi to this to that the other, then I don't care you're still you to me that that would get you into that sixty seventy percent world they they v p n in they're just not going over the internet,
1: yeah, yeah, you
0: just put some v p n endpoints right on your local network and then you put all your stuff in behind it, just like as if but it's going to be tricky. I, I think printing is going to be a pain.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and and don't get, I mean don't get me wrong. I don't think this is this project. You know, regardless of your company, isn't going to be for faint of heart. No, right. This is something where you're going to be putting in some serious effort, and you're going to have to have some some executive support because I, I can only imagine the amount of complaints you're going to get when you roll out even to that first test group, that proof of concept group. It's going to be, you are going to see some increased calls to your help desk and you're not going to be invited to Christmas parties at the end of the year, right? That's, That's a given. But the value, I just, you know, it's been bugging me this last probably six to 12 months that we created these isolated bubbles for everybody to sit in their home, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, like, you know, we we did such a great job of, you know, I mean, most companies did a great job early in the pandemic of getting everybody home, right? We're going to get you home. We're going to get you, oh, and we're going to put in MFA and you're going to have access via, you know, your home network. We're going to give you a secure tunnel. And, and it worked, you know, 95% of the time, folks I talked to when we first got into the work at home arrangements and the pandemic, you know, there was a group of CISOs that I was talking to over the last year or so. And all of us were the same thing. Oh, this is great. You know, it's it's working. We're you know, we're we finally got everyone productive, terrific. And now, you know, you and I are both going back to the office, and all of a sudden we're right back into that same environment where we're on this flat land with access to all these different services, and I don't have the same mechanisms, I have less mechanisms now to get in and get access to those resources than I did before. Yeah. So does that create greater threats? Maybe, right? Maybe.
0: Going to make it easier for the lateral propagation that we're seeing mm-hmm. what's the current the buzzword of this year has been ransomware or supply yeah. chain compromise but then when you mix those yep. two together oh, God. wow now you yeah now you got something microsoft just put through this uh good little blog on on that so this concept of humans getting in there scoping out your environment they they know who can sign the check. Oh sure. So they're they gonna, do their homework, right? They're going to encrypt that person's laptop. Oh yep. How to how to get the attention, right? So if that level of sophistication is going on, then why do we think it's going to get better? We we it's got to get worse. And I think this uh, this caseya is like that. When you mix supply chain with ransomware, what do you get? A real big
1: payday. Yeah, you betcha. You. And and that's why when there's a report, I think what it was reported, 70 million dollars yeah. was the was the number to release. It's what struck me, and actually you kind of laid it out really nice, Doug, because what there's a parallel to what we were fighting, you and I were fighting way back, you know, going back eighties and nineties when early toll fraud wars started, yep. when we were losing billions every year in toll fraud, because for the longest time, if you go back when long distance actually meant something same thing with
0: cell they had the same problem with cellular minutes right
1: yeah we, we went from you know long distance services that were then you know hijacked from somebody's switchboard and then the social engineering to get the calls to flow through to zero and then changing out voicemail boxes to one or you know yes so you could collect you know get the collect calls going through prisoners figured that out as well bring in cell phone technology cloning the cells selling this the clone you know cells yep. the bills were getting horrific and once they turned away from that and focused on everything internet based now you're seeing this this parallel to what the billions that we lost in toll fraud and cell phone fraud when they first came out we're now seeing that starting to realize in ransomware when you know the reported figure is is in the hundreds of billions every year you know that's the tip of the iceberg
0: yeah yeah if this right. is what they're telling you about this is what they're gleaning off of veiled things in press releases because of course I read the Colonial one really closely, obviously, because mm-hmm. my day job's in pipelines right now. Yep. And you start looking at it, and I really was, you know, rechecking that business model. Because you know, I've been following this since the mm-hmm. early days, and it used to be, yeah, whatever, users will lose some pictures, and you'll just get your backups, who cares? But that's changed. Uh, it's now a real thing. So even if you've got the best IT backups and the hygiene and the offline and all the rest, how are you going to deal with somebody getting a copy of your sensitive information and threatening to disclose it to, I don't know, the government or your customers yep. or the world at large? And so if we look back to risk management now, because we can, yeah, they will always be a way and you should have run this or that. That doesn't matter. Sure. Yep. The game yep. is elevating and your data is the target, or if you lose control of your data, what can happen? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where threat modeling is really where we got to get back to the business and say, what do we have here that would really hurt if it got into the wrong hands? Yeah. Start there. Yep. Start there. Because I think if we look at the model now, what's the worst that can happen? They get your stuff and then they tell the whole world because you refuse to give them money. Yep. What do we have that would hurt? If if that was the case.
1: Well, I, that's going to be the hard one, right? Is how Because the secondary question for that is what's the hit to the reputation you can afford? Mm-hmm. Can you afford to lose some information? Well, what would that be? Can you afford to lose a little bit more? Well, that's going to hurt. Or what if these files... Mm-hmm you know, we're released. The confidential census of the secret sauce, the intellectual property, the stuff that keeps your business running day to day. That's to me, although it may not be meaningful to the majority of users on the internet, there are some folks who are going to be anxiously awaiting for your stuff to hit some pastebin file. Yep. And they're going to want to read it and go, wow, so that's how they yep. did this. And, and that's to lose a competitive edge because of that, to lose market share because of that. I think When're you know, when we look at it from securities, the the professional side, the risk professional side, that's when we really need to ask those questions in that intellectual property, that bucket that we have. If this was taken away, now what's the impact to the business?
0: Yeah right? and, and I think we have to be fully transparent about it. You know It's easy to say intellectual property, but if it's really only useful if you happen to have twelve billion dollars worth of train tracks. Right. Yep. And a yard full of trains, then it kind of narrows down who could use your
1: information. But if you're an IT consulting firm that supports a bunch of companies, that's a little different now, right? So that's gets unique, right? Way different. Yeah.
0: And that's where that casilla sort of tripped it up, right? Because who knows what all they were into.
1: Well, and that's what scared me when I read... The little that I've I've had a chance to read over the last couple of days. And then to see that reported number, that $70 million uh-huh. number. That was to me, that sets this massive precedent that others are going to start looking at. So the target now, you can imagine if, you know, if it's successful, what are the what are their what's the bad guys' competition within that environment going to look at the next, you know, the the next group that they're going to target going? If you got 70 from this group, what can I get from this group, right?
0: Yeah. What, what what's a what's a hundred million dollar
1: score look like? Yeah. What's and, a- and and what would that have to look And and what type of supply chain interruption am I going to have to hit to get a hundred million dollar price tag out of somebody? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, your mind can spin pretty quickly what that would look like. And I'm sure somebody's already planning that one out, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. And they probably did that without subscribing to our podcast. They were probably already thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) Glorious results of a misspent youth, you know, is like, uh, how do you think about those bad things? Well, let's just, just trust me. I think about how people would steal things, how they would. uh, Yep. And, you know, I've run, you know, some stores and been involved in a lot of different businesses over time. And there's always going to be some kind of theft situation. Yep. yep. And now I think it's just moved to where the theft is not so much your computing resources. Because for a while, I remember they were trying to just steal oh, God, your, yeah. <laughs> your computer just to send out spam yep. for Viagra yep. and crazy stuff like that. And now, of course... Computers and internet are, are rentable by the minute. So that doesn't work. That, that's useless now. Um, but yeah, encrypting, disclosing, collecting. And I think we have to be careful differentiating between a commodity thing and the human-assisted. And the guys that are writing this, like apparently ReEvil, or the guys behind mm-hmm. this uh, Kaseya, they're one of the the top-tier malware companies. So these guys that are making the malware don't even do the attacks. They just sell the kits no. or no. –
1: it's a commodity for them, like you said. They, you know, you you purchase from them what they've already built, and then you execute it against a client. So they're not involved in it, but they've programmed yeah. it for you, right?
0: Yeah, I'm selling guns. I'm not actually yeah. doing the crime. Yeah,
1: I didn't pull the trigger. I just gave them the gun, right? So
0: yeah, and until our laws catch up with something like that, it's illegal exactly. to make cyber exactly. weapons or something. But. I gotta
1: ask this though, because we've been doing this for like way, way too long. Do you, you know, if you look back to you know where when we started? where we were in our careers and where we are today is it getting is everything getting more sinister and, and like what i mean is that we've seen some just you know i mean go back to um some of the early viruses that came out or or the stuff that would get caught on sneaker net as i wandered from machine to machine with my floppy disk and and then you know then i went to usb keys and now we're looking at stuff that's coming across through email or downloads is it Do you think, like from your perspective, is it getting any more sinister? Like, is the it seems to be? Are are they more sophisticated? Are they getting more? You know, it's
0: well. I think. I think there's both, right? I think it's more sinister in nature because before it seemed to be that they would just be getting on, stealing cycles, maybe using your system to attack something else. But I can't say that I've ever lost any data i have ever lost full use of the machine and now right now you look at it you look at when the the russians came through and took out the ukrainians or the ukrainian power mm-hmm. and you know one of the last things on exit was to format all the drives yeah yep. on the way out using kill disk i think it was it doesn't matter but it was destructive in nature and yep. the, The ransomware is destructive in nature, and they've just added the extortion thing. But whether it's turning the lights out on your enemy or it's just for cash, it's very well thought through. And the fact that they've turned that into a business that they now turn around and resell, you don't have to know how to code. You just have to have an adversary in mind, or you have to have a victim in mind and you got to figure out how to get this stuff into their world. But once you do, you just click this button here. And actually in some cases I've heard they, and I've never pursued this. So I don't know if it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, they work on a commission. They'll take a cut of wow. whatever you wow. get. So when I, I think it was bit, uh, was it bit site was the one I was looking at just before this interview. You know, they're. Looking between 2018 and 2020, their their data was saying they're seeing a 10 times increase. Wow. Wow. Well, it's always worked, but now it works even better. Sure. And when you look at the risk model for the people writing the software, it's very low risk. Yeah. Because they're not the ones that are going to get caught and go to jail. No, absolutely. Right. And now, if you've got a loyalty model or a, a resale model and all those things on top, you just like, wow. You know, you Compared to some other criminal activities where it's very clear the loss is you're not allowed to make drugs. Yeah, and,
1: you're going to jail if you get caught, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, whereas cyber weapons, I don't think there's really much on the books. So, even if you did catch them, what are you going to get?
1: You know, when you look at where we've come from before, so you know, you look at how we applied ESRM twenty years ago, a lot easier. You could explain you, you could explain the approach, even though most executive teams twenty years ago didn't want to hear it anyway. <laughs> but you could at ex- least explain the approach and you had a better handle on the types of threats to the business objectives. Now it's you know, the the smart money is to, you know, you never admit that you're, you know, you're never going to admit you're going to be a target, but it's smart to figure that you are going to be. Mm-hmm. Now it's just, it's the when and how long, yeah. as opposed to if, and we're we're better than them. No, we're not anymore. I think now it's just, it's a matter of, are are you capable of detecting it quick enough and you react yeah. fast enough to limit the exposure or put, limit the impact of the threat? That's, that's the best we can do on a really good day. Right on a really shitty day, you've got Colonial and JBS and, yeah. and, and our friends in the IT firm. That's you know, that's that's now my sliding scale of a good day. Right? Yeah, yeah. And maybe this is maybe this is
0: where we need to go. Maybe us as risk professionals we start to push the organization into working through their response plans because um you know, although I have hair, it's all completely white. Mostly, I want to blame some on my ex-wives and my children, but I think most of it is actually due to all the late nights and all the, the all the all the crazy IRs I've worked over the years. And yep. you know, it's not stopping. I've done, I think, four real ones this year alone. Wow. I'm like, holy it's like and it's only July yeah. right that's just frightening you don't wow. want to say i'm you know you don't want to say i'm getting too old for this stuff because i think you're actually better the older you get cuz you've seen it all once once or twice before but yeah. it's more yeah. of i'm getting tired of the same old same old <laughs> <laughs> seen it there what did they get how far have they gotten you know like the standard containment triaging, yep. scoping yep. but the at my day job, I'm I'm fortunate right now that there there is a, a fellow that is uh, ex-military, and he and I are pretty lockstep with a lot of the the threat modeling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Tabletops are good, but I think when you're really going to test your IR plans is, you keep notes on the incidents you are working, and pull those out at random and just walk your plan and you go where did we, where did we follow it, where did we stop. And you're gonna learn a lot more about yourself then. Yep. You really gotta look at your incidents and see how you did. And not the next day. And definitely the first few times, not with the VP in the room and stuff like that. You know, it's like no. the the guys that know what to do sit down and they go through it and they mm yeah we should probably fix it yeah that's taken way too long to do that we should fix it in fact why are we even doing that step because that's kind of stupid they already left why are we why don't we just put that on a an automated train somewhere and you know it sort of does its thing but i'm not taking a a person off the the hunting to look for more evidence just to go block a couple things in the firewall right I'll get a script to add to the firewall rule. You know, like yeah, we've got some good tools now. I mean, ten years ago, you wouldn't trust a script to update your firewall, but now I think you can. Now I think they it works pretty works pretty well. A lot of these SOAR tools are pretty good.
1: I, I agree, and I think there's you hit on some really good points. I just wanted to like, especially for the folks listening, and this, you know, we keep going back to the ESRM model and what the what what those sections or what those. Those distinct characteristics of that model really bring, there's a couple of good ones. One, that whole principle of continuous improvement, right? There is within the model, there's that whole whole process for us as professionals to continually improve. And that's, you kind of nailed it, Doug, as, as a portion of that was, we need to do that exercise of bringing back the incidents that we mm-hmm. had. Looking at them, and, and you know, I've done it, and, and I know you and I both done this, where we we take the whiteboard when we do the review, and we timeline it like a CSI incident, yeah. and we go from start to finish, and it's the distinct points on the timeline is where we need to stop and focus on the notes we took and the actions we did, and ask the questions, and and be honest with the answers. Why did you do this, yeah. or did you think of this instead? And that leads to the last part where inside that inner loop with the ESRm diagram is this idea of always monitoring and analyzing and that's where what we learn from those exercises you, you have to take that information that you've got from those detailed sessions where you're being really objective and honest with your your you know the the points you went through for the insert response and now take those learnings document them and put them back inside your monitoring approach so that just to your point earlier if you saw this and you acted this way and it was able to detect it faster or sooner or reduce the risk that now becomes your new sop yep document that put it in and that becomes your new monitoring approach is that it's this is already tried and tested on incident number 210 we're taking it now and it's in our sop and now you test that for this point moving forward awesome well
0: I hope you have a good summer and get a chance to take a, a few days off. I know you just started a new job, but
1: yeah, I get I get a chance to get some time away and uh, I've got two road trips coming up for ESRM. I get to go down to Florida for our as as uh, sem- general meeting which is the GSX or our, our our Global Security Exchange and I've been invited to Belgrade, Serbia to present a two-day workshop with uh, Rochelle Lawyer on ESRM in October. Wow. That's
0: yeah. yeah. So so those that are listening, it's like these are the guys that originally started this. You don't get any closer to ground zero.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> tune in next time. Exactly. Yeah. Tune in next time. Please. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the latest podcast from Caffeinated Risk. Make sure you visit our website, caffeinatedrisk.com, to stay up to date on what we've been working on. Our website has bios of our podcast guests, posts about topics we're passionate about, and even a library reference material we find valuable in the work we do every day. And don't forget to subscribe to Caffeinated Risk on your favorite podcast service. This way, you'll be notified when we release our next podcast, and you can listen to our previous guests just in case you missed them. Thanks so much for listening to Caffeinated Risk.